I'm Dave Hill. I was born and raised in America, but my grandfather, Clarence Vincent Blake Sr., was from Canada. Clinton, Ontario, to be exact. And when I was a kid growing up on the mean streets of suburban Cleveland, Ohio, my grandfather would thrill and amaze me and my siblings with tales of his mysterious and magical homeland located just across majestic Lake Erie. My grandfather's been up in that big hockey arena in the sky for over 30 years now, so I figured it was time I finally learned more about his country, which is why I started this podcast on which I try to learn more about Canada, one Canadian at a time. This is So You're Canadian. Today I come to you from the beautiful shores of mighty Lake Erie in Cleveland, Ohio, where, if I squint just right, I can see Canada right from where I'm sitting. Actually, it's been suggested to me that it's just a break wall that I'm looking at, but I choose to believe otherwise. Anyway, I'm here this week for the popular Thanksgiving holiday, the American version, of course, because as we all know, Canadian Thanksgiving was several weeks ago. I celebrated it all alone in New York City. It was really sad. No poutine, no nothing. I don't, that's a refrigerator on me in the background, in case you want to know. Anyway, if you are in the Portland area, or maybe you're in Canada and just feel like driving to Portland, we're going to be uh, at the Ha Ha Harvest Comedy Festival, Chris Gersbeck and I, uh, doing a live version, you heard me, a live version of So You're Canadian this Saturday which is to say, November 30th, we're going to be doing So You're Canadian at uh, Kelly's Olympian there at 2 p.m. with our guests will be Heidi Brander and Will Weldon, two actual live Canadian people. You heard me. So come on down. Come on out. It's, it's going to be fun. It's going to be mayhem. Chris and I are both going to wear hockey jerseys. Not going to say what team just yet, but uh, it's going to be electric. So uh, that's this Saturday, November 30th, Portland at the Ha Ha Harvest Comedy Festival at Kelly's Olympian at 2 p.m. Please come see us if you can. And while I'm making uh, my demands, if you haven't already, please pick up a copy of my new book, Parking the Moose, One American's Epic Quest to Uncover His Incredible Canadian Roots. Is it Uncovered or Discovered? You would think, if anyone would know, it would be me. It's Uncover. I just have to remind myself sometimes. Uh, Things are great with me. Thanks for asking. Anyway, I'm very excited about today's episode. My guest today is one of my favorite Canadian human people ever. Uh, His name is John Hastings. He is from Ontario, but currently living in Los Angeles. Hopefully temporarily, but that's that's just me, my own opinion. Anyway, I first met John in the United Kingdom, where we were performing stand-up uh, comedy together. We did a number of shows. I believe the last one was in beautiful Birmingham, England, or Birmingham, as the locals. I think that's how it's pronounced. I, I don't know. Anyway, John is hilarious and handsome, and uh, he's performed all over the world. He's been all over TV, radio, um... And uh, aside from uh, a shared love of comedy and 
the finer things in life. John and I also share a love of heavy metal, professional wrestling, and other stuff that we get into. Here now is my delightful and seriously Canadian conversation with comedian and Ontario in... Is that how you say it? I don't know. John Hastings. I hope you enjoy it so much. Thank you, John, for coming over. Thank you for having me, Dave. We're in the bustling village area of New York City. We are. This is exciting. I think, is this, um, I'll probably give us a preamble Mm. of some sort before we get to this action-packed part of the podcast. I'm sorry to start sounding all official. I like it. Podcast host. You have a good tone for business. Yeah. Like, it's not, it doesn't sound demeaning or authoritative. It's just like, we got to get through some stuff, then there'll be some other stuff, then it'll be the end. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's you, how I I'm do sure it. you've been invited to do loads. Like, the thing with podcasts now is you go to any town, or you're in any town, and there's, like, loads of different people doing podcasts, which is great on one hand, but on the other hand, there's some people taking it so seriously. Yeah. In a way, it's like... We're using your phone and we're watching Dirty Harry. This is not. <laughs> this is not the Joe Rogan experience, my friends. Like, please yeah. calm yourself. I feel like there's so many. Um, even though I I do believe this to be the preeminent uh, podcast about Canada hosted by a non-Canadian, I do think there are so many podcasts now that I'm wary of even having a podcast because I feel like. People are just constantly trying to lure people in front of a microphone. I think, yeah. And but I, I kind of think that they're like headshots now in comedy. It's sort of you kind of need to have one or have done one. You got to pot it up. You got to pot it up for a couple of years. <laughs> and it's also like you find a weird niche. Like I'm, I do a wrestling podcast and I never thought that many people would care about how much I'm into wrestling. Like it's uncomfortable how much I know about wrestling. Like it's crazy. Well, where, um, well, let's back it up. Let's come back to... I want to come straight back, but to, just to bring it. But I was going to say, well, you're... I I've, I think this is our first time together on America, on North American soil. Absolutely. I think it's first time together on American soil. Yeah. On North American soil. Yeah, correct. Sorry. I decided to bring... Uh, Mexico and Canada and yeah. Jamaica into it. Wait, Jamaica... I, excuse my ignorance. Is Jamaica part of North America? I only found this out recently. There's like a bunch of parts of the caribbean that are in north america that we just ignore like oh typical of course of us. how typical of yeah. us. um i did not know that i just went to jamaica for the first time in december this past december what, what was it like it was delightful but the thing my experience and also what other people told me that is that you want of course the fantasy is that you're going to go there and the Jamaican people would be like, "You seem so cool. Yeah, come hang out with us at at our the place we normally hang out, and not the tourist place." That's the thing you want so badly. Yeah, you want to be like, uh, but everyone's like, "No, just Don't. stick to uh, tourist places. The tourist places, because uh, everyone's in agreement that's that's what you should do. Like the the locals don't want you like." rolling up to their bar yeah there's type stuff there's certain countries where it feels like it's like this is the area we've allowed visitors mm-hmm. i've encountered that in bahrain and qatar we went wandering oh wow 
and one we just ended up in like essentially what was like a fenced in parking lot that was being used as a souk or a market and it was clearly for your locals and I could feel like the walls closing and like people were coming out to kind of look at us and not in that sort of like who are these people but like wait wait what's a souk or it's a it's a market in sort of the UAE and in Middle East countries a souk is sort of like oh, a okay. market or meeting place uh-huh. and they have tourist ones and then we're hearing have, a lot of Lucy sounds a lot of for Lucy. the listener I, I uh, yeah Dave and I are not slurping from a giant bowl it's and talking bonus. People who listen to, to my other podcast, Dave Hill's Podcasting Incident, are f- quite familiar with Lucy's uh, beverage intake. But she's, I think this is maybe a So You're Canadian first. She's her. a thirsty gal. And also, I'm just happy that she's warm to me, because at first she was she was really giving me the gears, which is a real shame, because I love a dog. Just oh, love yeah. Well, she's, if I can, uh, you know, infuse some bonus Canadian content, she's, I think, especially parched today because we went to the dog park and there was a newfoundland dog there who was as big as a couch yeah and she had never seen one of these dogs before and the dog was super intent on playing with her um and she was just like whoa so excited yeah just (laughs) meeting a horse for the first time yeah i think i made this up or one person told me this in a bar which was newfoundland dogs can smell cancer I want. I was just talking about the dogs can smell like diabetes. Yeah, uh, they can stuff. Maybe. And then I think that they specifically can smell that. Oh wow! So that would be bad news if you found out you had cancer from a dog. Yeah, you're having a lovely time petting this giant horse, gentle giant dog, and then it's just boo. <laughs> I have bad news for you. It's just smelling a weird lump you have on your neck, and you're like, oh no, it's Hodgkins. What an adorable way to go. Hey, that would be a nice way to go. Was it a doctor? No. A guy named Scraps. Just <laughs> put his hand, his paw on my lap and just let me know. What, I, have you been to Newfoundland? I have been to Newfoundland. I have been there. And uh, owing to my ignorance and or stupidity, and I've talked about this before on this podcast, I genuinely thought that there would be at least slightly more Newfoundland dogs scampering about there I than can, the rest of than New York City, for example. I agree, but it's like anything like that. Like if you go to the Northwest Territories, there's not as many husky dogs as you figure there's gonna be. Mm-hmm. Lucy. Lucy, the, we're broadcasting. Yeah, this is really bad form. Thank you. This doesn't happen to Marin. <laughs> um but yeah, no, it's exactly that sort of thing of there isn't as many Newfoundland dogs, but there is so many invites to come to someone's house and just drink, which I found yeah. alarmingly weird at first. Then you just have to go, no, you have to just lean into this and know you're culturally somewhere where this is acceptable. Yeah. I like it. That's a good uh, good I, custom. I, what I also found crazy is that someone gave me this tip, and if anyone goes to Newfoundland for the first time, is tell the taxi driver that picks you up at the airport you are new to the city and they will turn the meter off and give you a quick tour. And then my guy then drove me, it was a lady, then drove me to the grocery store. We both did our groceries. And at the grocery store, she turned the meter on. This is amazing. It was, it's, a- it's like nowhere else you've ever been because they're so polite and nice and like weirdly welcoming. And like you come from New York and I was like, I've lived in Toronto and London and LA, all these sort of like aggressive mean cities. 
Lucy, you're really... Uh... Lucy, I understand that you're all hopped up because you've met a Newfoundland dog, but we're trying to praise its homeland, and I can't yeah. tell what breed of dog you are. Oh, I see. You just want me to throw the ball. You have to let it go. Drop. I'm not playing this game with you. All right, there. You win. Um, <laughs> yeah, what? Uh, and so it, um, it, it's so polite and nice that you get thrown at first because you're so not used to that level of stranger appreciation. Yeah. That, like, it, you get a headache. Like, it's crazy. Like, they, like, walk up and are like, oh, how you doing? How's your mother? Like, everybody. You can't walk without these conversations. And also, Newfoundland, what I love is that Newfoundland dealt with a boom economy better than any other society I've ever seen. What? How do they? Is it oil? So, oil in Alberta. So, all of these guys graduated from high school. And they all basically made an agreement. Newfoundland is like Iceland is another place like this where if you're born there, there's like a 95% chance you will die there. Like people will literally retire back to Newfoundland, will travel back to die. Like there's a big sort of like this is a unique culture within Canada kind of thing. Mm -hmm. So there's the oil boom in Alberta and all of like so many 18, 19, 20 year old Newfies went to Alberta for three years saved all of their oil money, probably blew it on some cocaine and hookers, but not to the extent the Alberta boys did. Mm-hmm. and sent it back to Newfoundland, particularly St. John's, and then they all just bought up houses and created these huge um, sort of like suburbs, but so in, like right on St. John, like right into St. John's. So it's still walkable. You're part of the community. And it absolutely saved the island because they couldn't fish anymore. They had um, uh, all these government bans on fishing to save the fishing population and it revitalized the entire province because they poured all the money back in they could fix all the infrastructure they could afford to start new businesses all this sort of stuff and it's such a great testament to that place where it's like you know if new york state had that kind of boom it wouldn't be infrastructure everyone would be just dead from caviar overdoses (laughs) and choking on too many bonbons true this is true it's just, yeah, it's a fascinating thing. So yeah, Dave. So what is your relationship to Canada? You have relatives that are from there. Or My what? grandfather was from Canada, from Clinton, Ontario, which is so western, I guess, like right across from right across Lake Huron. Oh, like from Detroit. So yeah, so it's down like Windsor, that yeah. kind of region. Yeah, like scoot around Lake Erie, mm. up the. Uh, up through Detroit. Always in my mind, it's one of the crazy, like the, you know how there's like in America, like there's the Midwest and there's the assumption of like, oh, they're like racist gun-toting people. And then Canada has that place like Alberta and the prairies are very much like that. But what they never talk about in America has this too, is like the quirky, weird towns, like not the, how could you live here? But like, why would you live here kind of places? And I put like Clinton most of southern Ontario just like this place is madness why would you stay like they're like it's great well it seemed like I had this sort of uh, yeah because there's one intersection yeah and like you can drive drive over to like I think the town is called like Bayfly or something I'm getting it wrong probably but we went out there and um but I went to my grandfather's house uh Gore, I assume some sort of bungalow left over from World War Two. No, it was like it started as a like a tiny little barn, and they had ten people in it or something. Do you think about though, like that class, that generation of people that literally, like your house was, it was a shack in the middle of Canadian winter. 
Yeah. And you just dealt with it. They were probably, oh, wait, we got a shack. Two two plots down, they're living in the side of a hill. Yeah. I mean, that. I think they, they were homesteaders and they... And and then they you know started working the land and all that and eventually built like a nice big house that's still there, and but like I think at least one or two of his siblings just died, died. <laughs> and, and that was just like oh well you yeah, know it's just you, like kind of like oh it's part of the deal you're gonna lose a few like my my grandfather was from Montreal grew up in Dorval where's Dorval Dorval is sort of it's off the if you're coming into Montreal from the airport mm-hmm. it's the area uh, directly north and west of you basically it's sort of skirts the airport mm-hmm. but in that time that was like so far away like insane not part like just crazy it's like the it was the Bronx 30 years ago in a New York I, like it was a very rough weird sort of that working class but kind of dangerous working class town yeah and it was just assumed that at 13 all the boys you had to leave school and it's just like imagine that's just how much society has changed of like yeah 13 he was the second oldest his brother had a weird muscle disorder and died at 17 so it's like you're now the oldest son you're 13, you have to go yeah, get a... You're in the pole position. You have to get a job. That's how this works is we need... We got to... And he had two other... Do- he had two sisters. So it's like they have to be supported because they can't get jobs right now. And it's just like... I'm, like it just couldn't even fathom that. Like at 13? Like at 13, I was pulling my pud and reading about <laughs> punk rock. Like the idea of like now you go work in a factory? I was like, well... Everyone's going to die in that factory because of the fire I'm going to inadvertently start. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's it. Yeah, my, my grandfather and I think one of or two of his brothers, when he was like 14 or 15, just moved to Winnipeg to work in a shirt factory <sighs> and like live there for several years. And then he got then he learned all about he became one into menswear and moved to like Detroit and then Cleveland. Because of course, because that's a place. Because Detroit in that time, and then Cleveland, those are industrial towns. Everyone needs a nice, wide lapeled brown suit. <laughs> yeah. Well, the best part is he, he went into that, and then he eventually landed. I, where's the photo? I had it somewhere in here. But he um, eventually went. His main thing was golf attire. Oh. And so I have a picture, I think, over there of him with uh, Jack Nicholas. Like with sweaters, like and golf this, sweaters. If I'm doing my math right, like this is like 50s, 60s, this is the yeah. height of peak, peak yeah. checkered golf attire, like yeah. avocado green marched, matched with a radioactive orange. Yes. Gorgeous attire. Yeah. And he famously said that his job would always be secure cuz no matter what people will always need golf attire. He's absolutely he absolutely <laughs> nailed it. And it's true it worked out for him. And I have I have the exact sweater you're talking about back there. Oh, of course, it's somewhere in my closet. I have I have three sweaters that I've tracked down from that he sold. It's just a it's I just there's certain fashion looks where I just like how even then did they think this was a good idea? Yeah. Uh, that's a, we did live through the skinny jeans scare of 2000 and sort of I was just talking about this last night. The what an abomination cuz I I, I look think, at pictures of my what are you fucking wearing? 
Unless you're in the Ramones, it can't be done, the no. skinny jeans. I saw this guy the other day wearing, looked like stretch skinny jeans. And they were just, they looked sprayed on. Ugh. And he was not like, there's probably some guy out there who can pull up, but he was not like a thin no, man. He's... He was like, and I just wanted to pull him aside and be like, look, I'm going to do you a solid and just. You want a nice pair of chinos with a like just a touch of give you want them to look fitted <laughs> yeah but yeah you oh i was just like oh no 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 this is you'll die I, alone if you yeah. win <laughs> like it, it's just it's just interesting but like how did they not know like teal matched with a neon yellow in a triangle fashion as pants and like that yeah and they're spending like half a week's pay on this <laughs> and hiding it from their wives and they're like i am the height of fashion right now it's just yeah crazy but you know we're gonna look back on i look back on what i was wearing in early university i'm like you look like an asshole oh yeah i go back like pretty much every six months and i'm like what was i thinking <laughs> what was going on with me well because you've rocked an ascot in your past oh yeah and i will again yes but, but that's I, that's an, if you have the right aesthetic you can pull off anything and you have an ascot you got exposed brick in your apartment. Like, you're fine. <laughs> well, the ascot, to my mind, because the first, going, you know, because uh, I was in London and I was talking with friends there, because you would see ascots and mm. cravats for sale uh, way more frequently than you do in America, for example. And I, I was like, I'm going to get one. And I bought one, like, on Carnaby Street or something. Ground zero of for has gotten all all English neckwear, mm. um, and I caught my reflection. I was like, I look like such an asshole. And then I met up with some friends, and I still had it on. I was feeling really insecure. They're like, Oh no, here, I'm like, in America, an ascot means like it's like you're a cartoon asshole. But they, and they're like, No, in, in England, it's more like you're an artist. Yeah, they get that. But then I started to like it because I view it as kind of social ankle weights. Like, because I'm wearing this and people's first impression is like, who's this asshole? And because I know or assume that people that don't know me are thinking <laughs> that right out of the gate, it forces me to be nicer. That's great. That's to a... be extra nice. Because I'm like, whoever is just meeting me, I'm already at a disadvantage. <laughs> Because I, I have this neckwear on. <laughs> I love it. I always find that with, I'm in my mid-30s now, and I still will wear band t-shirts. And I find that has, that will say, to, especially in England, because they are such a dress-up culture. Like, after mm-hmm. dark, you put on a nice shirt because you're out. Yeah. And I just feel really uncomfortable in those. And it's a similar thing there with that, where you kind of have to, you got to make with some intellectual chat quick. <laughs> or they're going to think you're an absolute moron. <laughs> <laughs> and then they're like, oh, it's a choice. It's a, it's a very interesting countries when it comes to fashion. Of like, America is, I think, a middle ground between Canada and England when it comes to appearance in a weird way. Like, there's a conception that America is very badly dressed. And granted, well, I, live, I live in L.A. and I'm in New York. An argument could be made. I haven't actually gotten to America yet. But there is still, there is a premium on you look good. People change with the fashions. Outside of Toronto and Montreal, and even there, not really, Canada's look is fleece, wide boot-cut jean, 
hiking shoes and a hat you got with beer <laughs> in the 90s. <coughs> like it's just such an interesting <coughs> That and I think amazing. it's because of the weather. There is no, there is no reason to dress up nicely in Canada mm-hmm. six months of the year, and that just carries over to the other. You, July and August, you would, but it's too fucking hot. So you look good the first week of June, maybe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because and if you wore, where have you have you worn the ascot in like rural Canada? I would be. They would punch me. They would punch you, and I would deserve it. You would like. I was talking with my friend Dylan when we were both living in London and we were both wearing white shoes. And we were both like, do you find it weird that no one, like no stranger has walked up and intentionally scuffed our shoes? <laughs> and he, uh, he said it to me and I was like, yeah, I can't. I'm like, that's a, a great point. Like, it's just that there's a weird edge to Canada in that sort of thing. Is, is he Canadian as well? He is. And he's from Stouffville. So he's from small town, suburban Toronto, uh-huh. which is like. Letterkenny is a very good snapshot of both of the communities we're kind of from, if you're familiar with that show. Wait, yeah. I I was just about to ask if we had ever spoke. I'm obsessed with that show. Yeah, so that is... I can't watch it because I'm like, this is too... It's too close to me going back to like Ottawa or... That's what, that's what I've heard before. I love that show and I opened up for Broken Social Scene recently. Not to brag. It's fine. I have a broken social scene story after this story. All right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Amy Milan has, has done this show, speaking of. Um, but I was, I couldn't wait to talk to the guys about the show. And I was talking to one of the guys. I was like, do you watch Letterkenny? And he said the same thing. He's like, I can't watch it. Yeah, you couldn't watch it. Because it's too real for me. And I, I can't, I, I, it's too much. Like, I could take you to Ottawa <laughs> and we could go to the Duluth Arena. And th- like those guys would be there. They would probably have a kid unless it's the adult skate, and they're literally there. They've had a beer in the parking lot, like smoking export A's, which still have fiberglass in them. They took them out and it changed the flavor, and the they insisted they put it back in, <laughs> like just absolute, just towny, like no, yeah, no doubt about. It. Oh, Dave, you know, fuck, I couldn't fucking live in New York. It's fucking <laughs> fuck this. And then, and then that would be Dil- where Dylan's from. Is like that Southern Ontario. And then mm-hmm. I'm from the Ottawa Valley, so everyone sounds like Norm Macdonald, uh-huh. just a little like, like ah, yeah, uh. and it's just yeah, it's fucking crazy. Wow. And they don't leave. And what I like about it is they don't leave, and they're they're happy about it. It's not that sadness if you go back to a small town, and people being like, should have gotten out, man, should have run away with the circus. They're like, what? I could get. I got a job with the Canadian government. I work in IT support for a department that no one knows about. I have a pension. I don't care. It's like, and you're just like, this is such refreshing approach to banality. I absolutely support it in every way. Um, but yeah, what um, my broken social scene story is this is the bass player was trying to hit on a friend of mine and said, I'm oh. in broken social. And I, at the time, wasn't, I didn't know who that was. I didn't know who Broken Social Scene was. Wait, but they trade they, they trade instruments. I don't. I was. I he may have also been lying. By the way, I, I <laughs> this do, may not have been a real. This may not have okay. been a legitimate member. It's an easy thing to lie about because there's like forty-seven people Ma- in the band. That's exactly what I then learned. And yeah. he was trying to hit on her, and I was like, "What is Broken Social? Is that like a store?" And he was like, "Broken Social Scene, the band." And I was like, "I've never heard of that band." And he literally spent fifteen minutes trying to explained to me who Broken Social Scene was 
And then I, looking back, was a bit rude, but I was literally trying to, I was like, like Arcade Fire? Is that what it's like? Oh, man. And he just was like very taken aback and walked away. And I was just like, this is why I can't meet musicians. I gotta be, <laughs> I gotta be prepared and listen to the discography. And also, by the way, Arcade Fire, I would step in it because I was at a loft party before they broke and they were the house band. I don't know if my friends remember this. Is I said, this band is awful. <laughs> they're never going to make it. And two years later, I was playing their first album being like, this is great. And they're like, you've seen them. <laughs> you hated them. And I was like, well, they got a better sound guy, I guess. I don't know what to tell you. And now let's take a quick break and check in with our friends over there at Maximum Fun. Go to MaximumFun.org to find out what their deal is. This week on Bullseye, Lin-Manuel Miranda on his dark materials, hip-hop, and life after Hamilton. I know it's the first line of my obituary. So if that line is handled, then what else can I do with my time here? It's Bullseye for MaximumFun.org and NPR. Hey, it's Jesse Thorne. We're very happy to announce that tickets for MaxFunCon 2020 will go on sale Friday, November 29th at 11 a.m. Pacific. I also want to let you know, this coming year, MaxFunCon 2020 will be our last MaxFunCon for the foreseeable future. For 2020 and beyond, we're going to be looking for ways to connect with more of you in person and spread the spirit of MaxFun farther than it's ever gone before. In the meantime, if you want to join us at the last MaxFunCon in Lake Arrowhead, June 12th through the 14th, you can find details at MaxFunCon.com. And now, back to my delightful and seriously Canadian conversation with comedian John Hastings, a totally Canadian person. Uh, but here's my how Canadian are you. Is oh, what, yeah. What is your feelings on, speaking of bands, the Tragically Hip? Well, that's an interesting question because I was just kind of, for the update, Lucy has kind of petered out. And yeah, she's, now she's, sleeping. she's now calmed down and um, asleep. I, uh, and I, this is, I'm going to say something. This is very dangerous, what I'm going to say. I analyzed this Please. in my book. Oh! My forthcoming book, Parking the Moose, which, depending on when this episode comes out, probably be out already. Um, but growing up in Cleveland, I, I they would come through town mm. and they would play, you know, to a few hundred people. And... I've, I've talked about this before. My therapist that I had years, you know, when I first started experiencing the uh, myriad of mental problems I've dealt with over the years, he is a huge, I assume he still is, Tragically Hip fan. And he would ma- he even sent me, he's like, I made a website where he made, he, you know, like people make music with like Atari? Yeah. He made covers of Tragically Hip music with like, like, 12 bit or whatever. What was it like seeing bit. that your therapist do that? Like right there, I'd be like, I got to get a different therapist. Well, it was a little jarring because I was just <laughs> like, well, I don't know about this. And, um, but he was a great guy. So, but anyway, so I didn't, I didn't understand their music. And then I was in, uh, Merrickville, Ontario, where my friend Niels lives. And he's a big fan. And I was just like, play, put their records on for me. I want to understand. I want to kind of get on board with it. 
and he was just like, we don't need you to get on board with this. Like, don't like, yeah, he, I think he was, he's like, you don't think you're doing Canada a favor by getting on board. Like, we're fine we're without not, you getting it. Yeah, we're not looking for there's there's too many people at the arena for most of our tastes anyway. Yeah. Yeah. So I, and now and then so he kept playing it, though, because it was just what he had in his car. And then I was like, oh, I get it. This is like just catchy, enjoyable music. Mm -hmm. You can go to this with your friends and have some beers. And this is probably a super, I like this. And he's just like, yeah, you still don't get it. And uh, fuck you. I don't care what you think. Well, that was being a snob. But yeah, no, you absolutely get it. They're Canada's Bruce Springsteen. The equivalent would or be. sort of like REM. Yeah, like it, depending on your sort of age group or the or, or also yeah. geographically where you sort of grew up, they're that band that is like this is our thing. That no other. It's a weird thing being Canadian. Very there's rare, especially in the '90s. Canada was never talked about on television. Mm -hmm. So except the tragically hip and the kids in the hall. Yeah, were the only things that were not sad to be Canadian or made fun of being Canadian or still felt like they were in Canada that, but were out there like tragically being on Saturday Night Live was it was crazy like I was like six and I remember or seven and it was on the news like they didn't even mention Mike Myers who is way more famous and was hosting the show they were like Kingston's own tragically wow. hit like it's happening their last concert the Prime Minister for those you don't know the pre the, they they stopped performing. The lead singer got brain cancer and died. Yeah. Their last concert, the prime minister went, who is a very decisive figure within Canada, and everyone was like, "Well, he should be there." Like this is, yeah. this is very. I watched it backstage at a show at Edinburgh, Scotland. I had to stop myself from crying. Wow! Because you're just like, this is the end of a era. Yeah, and my friend Brandon, who's Australian, didn't know what it was. Brandon Burns. Brandon Burns was another a, wrestling fan, a massive wrestling fan. Was just like, what, what, what is this? Why do you care? And it was that simple thing of like, this is not something I'm going to explain to you. This is either you understand why we're all upset because all of the Canadians around the Edinburgh Festival that night were in different places, just sat watching the concert on YouTube. Yeah, and he was like, explain it to me. And I was like, you don't, don't worry about it. And someone got in his face and was like. This isn't for you. This is this is a, this is a Canadian thing. We don't have anything else. <laughs> it's this, and it's Celine Dion, and for some reason we don't acknowledge Neil Young, so he's not on the list, and that's it. Well, that's this is I, I started. It's still in my book to some extent, but and I assume you go more in depth of that idea of it being something you don't need to be a part of, or you don't want to give away the chapter. Well. This is probably telling too much, but my, the way I had written it, my editor was like, you need to back off a little bit because <laughs> there are people who are going to be like, fuck this guy. Like the fact that I was even like, I don't get it. Cause I, I basically talked about how I didn't get it and then I got it. Mm. And he was just like, I don't think you should ever acknowledge not getting it. <laughs> I think, I, I like that you got it. Cause that's the thing is also people so much, especially with like a band like that. We'll put so much of a premium on like it's our thing, and I, it, to me it is. But it's also the thing of like you got it's it's fun, catchy, fun, yeah, sing along right, music, yeah. you can have a couple of beers too in a parking. Like that's that's what else are you looking for from rock and roll than that? Like when it gets beautiful yeah, exactly. and artistic, that's awesome. But it's also at the same time like you're not listening to Lou Reed 
all day every you're gonna throw you're throwing on like, right right and they're um well the thing because I was just like, wait, because you would always hear for years, be like, these guys play arenas mm-hmm. in Canada. But then I was always mystified because I was like, what? How? Why is it not? Why are Canada and America so different that it wouldn't just transfer? Why wouldn't we? Why wouldn't it? Never made sense to me because I was like, why? I think why it, isn't America getting on board in the same fashion? I guess they, they are, their lyrics and stuff were distinctly Canadian. Lyrics. There also is a business advantage to. Being in Canada, especially in the 90s when radio was still king, because Canada, and they've broken a lot of these boundaries now, but they had the CRTC laws. Oh, where you had you had to play Canadian content. You had to play Canadian content, which resulted in a lot of really shitty Canadian bands getting a lot of radio play. And the Tragically Hip benefited from, they were playing them a lot, and they were really good. Yeah. So, like, Kim Mitchell is an abomination of a musician with two of the worst songs that ever have existed. Wait, remind me. What? Go for a soda. And Why might as well go, go for, for a soda, soda. nobody hurts. I don't know, that's pretty oh, good. Oh, that song can <laughs> fuck off. And then the even worse song, Patio Lanterns. I don't think I know All that. these patio patterns. He sucks. He's It's worse, but was massive because they needed a... Guy who sounded like the band Boston in the seventies and eighties, and so they he got super famous, but he wasn't embraced in the same way because it, it's not got depth or is good. And then the right. hip, you're just like, this is great, and they go through these like, like I'm not a super. I have friends that are super fans that will like, this is the these are the eras you have to like the because they switch leadership as bands do of like who's running the band, who's in charge, and there's like big arguments because there's two guys named Gord. They were in the band that are the two sort of creative forces behind it. And there's big arguments over which era was the better era. Which gourd was Which gourd did you want to... Yeah. What are the odds there'd be two gourds in the first place? I mean, very, very uh, crazy anywhere but Canada. Hugely possible in Canada. (laughs) It's the only place you'll still meet a kid named Gordon. That's true. I've only known one American Gordon. Maybe one Gordon period in my life. Unless you count his dad, who was also named Gordon, I'm gonna give, I'm gonna give two Gordons. You got two American Gordons in your life. Yeah, that's it. That might be it. Seven? I know seven Gords. Gords, Gordies. So Gord is it's like the Simon or Ian, like Simon, like in England. If you call someone Simon or Ian, odds are you're gonna get it right that that's what their name is. Oh, I've never even figured that. That's absolutely true. Don't you think? That's like a hun- the average guy you meet in England is going to be named one of those two. Yeah. If it's out, especially if you're outside of outside London. of London, Simon or Ian, that's yeah. like it's fifty percent chance. It's forty forty those two, and then twenty percent anything else. <laughs> yeah. That's brilliant. But it's it's true, right? Yeah, a hundred percent. That's br- like. That's such an astute observation. Canada, Gord. There's so many Gords, Duggies. Kentucky. Uh, Coops. Like just Cooper, Cupertino. Anything like that will be shortened to Coop, like quick. And so many just uh-huh. last names. Uh huh. Like I'm. Everyone in my family, like me, my uncles, my aunts, were all Hastings. Like your friends will call you Hastings? They'll call me Hastings. But do you have this thing. I don't know if it's just in my... It's probably just in my head, but I... When someone addresses someone by their last name, I think it's something that goes back to grade school. 
like where like people like kind of dicks and stuff would be like who you know like and it strikes me as like a super broy way to address somebody it's a swan song of the bro last name that so like a widely opened po- like you're slightly i think you're slightly how old you're slightly older than me am i right i'm yeah i'm deep 40s Ooh, so good you never know what to look at no me. you living a good life yeah that's i've had a lot of work done damn right doesn't show um but there is a something of because i was 90s bro so anytime i hear the last name i picture like a dude in a white visor turned around wide open polo shirt just playing frisbee and being a dick like that's i have the same sort of reaction but it still happened once i hit university to me but we were in theater school so Perhaps someone was being ironic, and then we just never explained it to each other. Wait, so where did you go to school? I went to Concordia in Montreal. Oh. So I did the classic uh, Eastern Canadian. Um, grew up in Ottawa. Had to get out of Ottawa. I did one year at Ottawa U and hated it. And was just like, i got to get out of this stinkberg town. And it was either Montreal or Toronto. And I picked... But wait, what's your... You're from Ottawa, but what's your, like... Actual town that you like grew up in Ottawa, Pro- Ottawa proper, Ottawa proper, Westburn, Ottawa. Because Ottawa, you is gotten through a huge population expansion, and they also changed the city limits border. So, oh, okay. So it would be a million people because they were like, "This is embarrassing." The capital of Canada is like three hundred thousand people. Mm-hmm. But when I grew up there, it was it was a very small community, and Ottawa was a very insular place. Not a lot of people leave because it's a place where the government is there, and they always have a few other industries in and around it so you're always going to get a job the economy's always strong it you kind of get enough culture because it's government workers they have to bring some things there so it seems like you're in a city but really you're in a small town that's in the drag of a big city Uh and it just like i can play a game if i meet someone from ottawa and anyone who doesn't live there you can do the furthest i've gotten is three people and then we have a, f- like a good friend on both sides in common oh, every wow. time. It's nuts. Like, it's just because it's just everyone stays there and it's so not inbred sexually, but inbred socially and stuff yeah. like that. So, yeah. And I just had to get out of there. I was like, I couldn't, I couldn't stay one step. And so I went to Montreal, which is the polar opposite. It's sort of the cultural capital of French Canada is very divided over like language and at the time was sort of economically depressed in that brilliant way and that there was like, crazy cool art going on and amazing comedy and amazing bands and all this sort of stuff um was going on and went to theater school there at concordia university which Mm -hmm. is like the most like they were they were woke before now like what the what right-wing people will lead you to believe society is in 2019 that is what concordia university was in 2004 Uh like i remember i used the inappropriate term for a trans person in 2007 and someone was like that's absolutely not what we are called it's this and i was like the weird con that weird thing of like i just didn't know yeah and then it was 10 years and then it came back and i was like wow we were real ahead of the curve weren't we wow yeah like it was the first time i like huge protests against benjamin netanyahu there was a Mm -hmm. It's a huge amount, like the student government isn't a government, it's a union. You pay unions, you do the student union. There were student strikes, like very, like you go from like this weird government town, now you're in French Canada with all this interest and divide and sparky culture and at this university that there's a very hotbed of all these weird things. It was very, it was very interesting and very informative to a, at the time, 
young fat man who likes punk rock. But yeah, it was great. Uh-huh. And and you were studying to to be a, a theater actor. I was studying to be an actor because Canada is where improv is. This is a roundabout story, and you may not people listening may not know this. You probably do. Is Canada is essentially where most, if not all, improv is from. Mm-hmm. It's from Saskatchewan a guy named Keith Johnstone created it along with some other guys that were sort of shoot off from the Compass players that I think bought too much weed to get back over the border, so stayed in Canada. I've made that up, but that would I've met them. <laughs> that would scan perfectly. Where in Saskatoon or Regina? Sask- Saskatoon or Regina. Edmonton maybe Edmonton is where he ended up. I think it's Edmonton or Calgary. Maybe even Calgary. One of those four cities is where Keith Johnstone was developed all of these sort of techniques for training actors at the same time Second City was. But like Every Whose Line Is It Anyway game is created in Canada. That's where that's all from. Mm-hmm. And then the second city opened in Toronto. That's where, so there's a huge emphasis on improv comedy to the point that there was a competitive league in high school called the Canadian Improv Games. Wow. That was started in Ottawa. And it is the most competitive. It it's like football in Texas. There are blood feuds between schools that go back... F- 20 years and stuff like that and i did that in high school and like got the bug of being a performer through that uh-huh. but i didn't know like you don't know when you're 16 17 how to really do show business so i was like well there's theater yeah. schools uh-huh. i'll go do theater and then from that i was like i like some of this but i don't like other parts of it and then montreal which is the home of just for laughs at the time had a very healthy comedy club scene uh-huh. and then just started and went from there Nice. Yeah. And then you went, when did you go to London? I went to Toronto first, which is sort of like the New York dash LA. It's literally, yeah. Toronto is what if you, New York and LA had a baby. That's but isn't, isn't Vancouver the LA of Canada or is that? Kind of, yeah. It would be a bit, it's closer in terms of vibe, mm-hmm. but in terms of like sort of industry and sort of stuff, I don't, th- I've never been a Vancouver guy, so I'm biased against relating them to a thing I like which is LA but that's just my per- personal uh-huh. prejudice. What do you what, what where do you fall on the Vancouver, Toronto, Montreal, which are you? I, or do you like you can like it all. It's dangerous to say this, but I I think I like Montreal the best. See Montreal is the sexiest. I mean, I'm a sexy yeah, it's, you know, moth, I'm, I'm, moth to a flame. I'm getting married in Montreal in three weeks. You are? I am October the 12th. This is breaking. Yeah, this is true. I keep forgetting to tell people. <laughs> I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah, we're getting married. Because I live in America. My girlfriend is Canadian. Lives Wait a in- minute. Not that this... I'm expecting you to, to change plans at yeah, all. Yeah. But I'm going to be in Montreal. <laughs> I leave the 11th. St- stay another day. Or you can come to the rehearsal uh, okay. karaoke bar fun on the 11th. What about, What's going on on the 10th? I don't know. I'm probably hanging out. We can have a beer Let's in Montreal. Let's do that. Let's, Let's do hang that. out in Montreal. That's the least... That way you don't have to get another place setting. There's no place settings. We're literally just putting a table of food in a theater. (laughs) If you listen, it's the most low-key wedding possible. This is amazing. What are you doing in Montreal? My my book tour starts October... Well, October 6th, I touch down in Toronto. And the the frenzy begins. Oh, yeah. The low-grade frenzy. What... um... Are you doing the cool bookstores or are you doing Indigos? I am doing... Both I'm informative. Doing, I'm doing festivals. I'm doing like... Yeah. A, I'm doing... Um, oh, why not? This, this is breaking news. I just got this email. A lot of it I'm doing like just interviews and stuff. 
press, I guess they say. I'm doing WordFest in Calgary. Mm-hmm. I'm doing Writers Festival in Ottawa and Festival of Authors in Toronto. Beautiful. Also, Ottawa um, bar recommendation. And also, anyone who's going to Ottawa, always go to the Dominion Tavern. I think I've heard of this. Old school punk bar. Those bartenders have been there for 40 years. It's is, it, not, is it in the Glebe? It is in the market, which is a rough. It's a long walk, but it's a lovely down a beautiful winding canal, which becomes the world's largest skating rink in the winter. Oh, the Rideau Canal. The Rideau Canal. And I said it wrong. That's okay. It, it looks like it should be Rideau. But I, this is, a, as a kid who was trying to ingratiate himself with my, I was, you know, just trying to, I basically, you know, having a Canadian grandfather was thrown on the ice at like mm. two and a half, three of or whatever. And then I started playing hockey, I think, just to, to curry favor with him <laughs> and was just, I didn't start playing in a proper league until I was 11 and to my mind, I was like, I've already, my NHL Days hopes are, are dashed. There can't possibly, because I was reading up on all my, like, heroes. You know, you'd read them, like, books back then. Oh, yeah. It was a simpler time, pre-internet. You'd, like, read in magazines and books. Like, what? This guy started at, like, seven months old. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> whatever. Like, like, Gretzky, they lie, They put him in a league with 11-year-olds, and he was seven. Yeah, and he was kicking their ass. He kicked their ass. So, That's why he tucked his jersey. That's a fun fact. Oh, oh, because it was so big. It was so big. They put him in a bigger jersey, so they're like, "This is what an eleven-year-old wear," and they tucked it in the bag. And if you ever watch him play, his jersey was always tucked in the forever. bag forever because he couldn't, because yeah. he'd worked out all of his moves based on that feeling on his body, so he couldn't, he didn't feel comfortable without it. I That's thought. amazing. But I, yeah. So the idea, I always wanted to play like the rare occasion I got cold enough to play pond hockey. In Ohio, I did, and then so when I went to Ottawa for the first time, my friend Niels is driving me down the Rideau Canal. Yeah, baby. And it was family day. Yeah. So it was crazy. Everyone's out on the ice, and like an idiot, I didn't bring my skates, and I was like, "This is paradise." It's a weird thing that I have of I just assume everyone knows how to skate. Oh yeah, because you just have to learn it. Yeah. It's. I, that's what I thought when I was a kid, because we all had to, you had no choice. And I remember my oldest sister, Miriam, when she got to be whatever, 11 or 12, started to develop other interests. And she said, in, like around the whole family, like, I don't want to ice skate anymore. And my grandfather, my Canadian grandfather said, what good are you if you can't Oh, skate? no! Yeah, and in my mind, I was like, he's right. Like, if you can't skate, you're not, like, a complete human. Yeah, there's a weird thing. It's like finding out people can't ride a bike, which, you know, there's a variety <laughs> of reasons why they don't. But I'm just like, what? What did you do when you were a kid? And even, like, now my brother is 16 and has grown up in the age of the internet. And he's, st- like, you still have to know how to do it. It's still, every park in every neighborhood still has that. They literally, the city waters it down, puts up those weird splintery gray boards yeah we didn't we i mean we didn't have that in ohio i was in winnipeg and i was staying in like i did an airbnb in like in the suburbs somewhere Mm. and i went for a run and i happened upon is in the summer i happened upon one of these rinks and i was just like 
oh my gosh. And I was just imagining the magic of like was, what it would be like in the wintertime. What was also so crazy of my memories of it, and this may be skewed through time or whatever, is that it was everyone from the neighborhood. So it'd be like four-year-olds playing with 40-year-olds. Mm-hmm. And the level of competition a 40-year-old who didn't make it onto the Can- Montreal Canadiens brings to that <laughs> vibe. Like, I just remember it being so... Like, it was like these waves of, like, people crashing into boards all the time and stuff. Like, like it was just like a cacophony of noise you would hear until 11 o'clock. Oh, that's amazing. That is a weird thing, like... Like, when, when you play hockey as you get older, there's all these people are working out their emotional problems so much like like you get I played in men's leagues and I always I'm not I've never been in a fight off the Mm. ice in my life never even come close but I have beaten up so many guys on the ice because they you have to just smack some sense into them it's because they're like you, like, you got to calm down, buddy, and then you just pop them a couple of times. Yeah. Well, in <laughs> hockey, it's also encouraging and it also makes it safer because it keeps everyone in line. Yeah. The abolishment of the... This is the most Canadian conversation. The abolishment of the goon in the NHL has made it a much more dangerous, violent game because there was a time where all of the teams had a guy who might not be able to skate <laughs> who was crazy and will kill you. Like, famously... The fa- most famous one is Marty McSorley... Who mm-hmm. on national television said, what is your job? And he said, I protect Wayne. If you touch him, I will get you on the ice, in the locker room, or in the hotel. <laughs> and then walked away. <laughs> and it's just like, and he's, a, and you can see him interviewed now. No CT on this guy. Nice mustache. Looks like, he, I think he owns a hardware store. Like, just a salt of the earth human being. But that kept everyone in line because every team had that guy. It's amazing. I read. Did you read uh, Gordy Howe's book? I never read Gordy Howe's book. I I this I bought. I was in the airport. That's bought, a that's a great airport book. Well, I I was flying. I'm guessing to L.A. because it was it was like somewhere where it was like a good book length mm. flight. So I bought the Bobby Orr book, and <sighs> that book was really good. And it seemed like he wrote it himself. Um, as a lot best of spell I could tell. <laughs> well, I, w- I was looking for any like ghostwriter and it didn't didn't say anything anywhere, and I I was like that was such a great book I I enjoyed that so much so then I get I'm flying back mm. to New York, and I see the Gordy Howe book and I was like there's no way you can't top the Bobby Orr. who's that was a great hockey book, and the Gordy Howe book was even better and what it was so amazing because he just talks about that just like. And like just just beating the crap out of people, yeah. And and just like how he's like, what I would do is I would just, I would just punch someone for no reason, and it would just scare the other team, <laughs> and it would give me all this room. And he talked about like when the the, the rinks used to have they didn't have the plexiglass, they just had the the chain link yeah. fence. And he's like, you would get over to the corners, you know, to. And people would like try to would punch you through, through the, the fence. glass. They, yeah. they would the fence would hit you, and then so he's like, there was this guy that kept messing with me, and he just threaded the butt end of his stick through and nailed the guy in the face or something. And and uh, and then another game, he's because it was like before television, and yeah, it's on the radio, and the the announcer's not gonna 
um, yeah. like rat you out. Yeah. So he's like, I waited until like the play was, you know, I stayed behind the play and I just popped this guy and they and then all of a sudden the guy's down on the ice bleeding and everyone's like, what happened? He's like, like, I don't know. <laughs> but uh, and then he even and he's talking about like some player was dating his daughter or something. And he said, like, do me a favor. Um, in the next game, I want you to just punch someone for no reason. <laughs> and the guy did it. And he's like, wow, that really worked. That, like, it really gave me the room on the ice that I needed. It's like, because everyone just stayed away from me. I'm, I get Bobby Orr and Gordie Howe. Could be, Gordie Howe was always on the Bruins, or Bobby Orr was always on the Bobby Orr's Bruins. Bobby Gordie Orr's. Howe's- Red Wings, primarily. There it is. That's because I knew and Bobby Orr was under Don Cherry when Don Cherry was the coach and was the only coach ejected from a Stanley Cup final. That's how I do it in my head. Don Cherry, yeah. So Don, a, yeah, for those of you who aren't Canadian, Don Cherry is uh, he's our prime minister. Uh, <laughs> Don Cherry does a three-minute television show in between the first and second period on Hockey Night in Canada called Coach's Corner, and he's a very charismatic right-wing fascist man, essentially. I didn't know until fairly recently. Because I assume he was, uh, researching a book about Canada, you had to... I learned, because I, 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 of course, have known who he was ever since we got cable when of I course. was a kid. And, uh, but I didn't know until recent years that he's uh, a right-wing nut job. That said, I'm going to tell you two things that are going to warm your heart. One, Ron McLean and Don Cherry, after the broadcast, wherever they are, the, one of the PA's job is when they go on air is to go back to the hotel room and put beers on ice and then they walk back to the hotel room together and watch the late games and drink beer together and then Ron McLean goes out and parties because Ron McLean is an animal <laughs> uh, second fact uh, Ron McLean is a Canadian sports journalist in my opinion is the greatest sports journalist that's ever lived knows everything uh, for a brief time they were taken off of they were only doing Hockey Night in Canada, and Ron McLean was not the face of Hockey Night in Canada anymore because the NHL hated that he was an objective journalist and wouldn't he would bridle under any direction from them because he was always, the idea was, every information about a sport is what should be delivered. And they, in a new TV deal, took him off uh, television for a year, and it cratered the ratings so hard they had to bring him back. Oh, wow. Oh, he's the best. That's awesome. For you American listeners, you may recognize him as briefly being a commentator on the X Games in the late 90s. Oh, that's a good... Uh, it's a fun, good weird bit of trivia. piece of information. Wait, so what... Did we cover what is the most Canadian thing ever? Did you say it? I would say that... We, were, we kept getting to it, and then... I, I was going. I was asking you about the Tragically Hip. Is that That's a oh, Canadian-ness. Oh, oh, okay. That's a Canadian-ness barometer, and I think yes. you've actually nailed it. Because A... Not from Canada, so you didn't grow up with it being brainwashed, but you were able to appreciate it, even though your friend kind of gave you some shit about it. Yeah, I'm finally, uh, but, you know, he's just, he's made it clear, like, don't, you know, he's like, just figure it out on your own time, and uh, I'm not going to give you any sort of, uh, I am trying to, he won't guide me. I am trying to figure out what the American version of that, I think it's Bruce Springsteen, would be the, the closest... Cause, Probably. Because REM fans aren't going to get angry if you don't like REM. Probably not. No. It'd be weird if they were like, 
You just got to really listen to losing my religion. <laughs> <laughs> well, that the REM fan to me right away, I'm like, well, you know, because that's when, you know, the lyrics started to be, you could understand what he was saying. That's a fair point. Things like that. Whereas I go back to where he, the mumble era, the uh, early records. Is that when he still had some hair? Yeah. He had, I mean, he had a fair amount. Yeah, he had hair and for the first four records, I would say. It's crazy. It's crazy how much music has changed that R.E.M. could have four, four records and sort of that was when they were unknown and then have a hit. Yeah. Like, it's just like, that would never happen now. I know, you got like two weeks. Yeah, if that. Like, yeah, well, people talk about now like a record. I was talking to a friend... Uh, and he's like, he's like, yeah. The thinking now is you get three weeks after the records come out, like to make something stick. And if it doesn't, you're probably done. Holy, <laughs> sh- like, okay, go was like they were like those. They were the first big internet viral videos, as music videos, all this sort of stuff. I forgot they existed for about four years. Like, it's just crazy, just how quickly either people become narrow cast and they just go to their audience and they just don't take like there's no songs of the summer really anymore do you know what i mean yeah they're just like uh and i discover them sometimes it takes me like several years yeah to, uh, i've told this story uh, in many platforms before but i had never heard i did a show with um some friends like a variety show and they played this song called irreplaceable on acoustic guitar oh and it was Four women, two guitars, four singing, and uh, they played this song, You Must Not Know About Me. And I was just like, I assumed they wrote it because I'd never heard Mm. it in my life. And I was just like, oh oh my God, they've done it. They've written one of the greatest, (laughs) catchiest songs I've ever heard in my life. And then afterwards, I was like, I'm like, you guys, you're going to be millionaires. That's an incredible (laughs) song. And they're like, that's a Beyonce song that came out five years ago. And I was like, but that's how I, yeah, that's how I learn about it. big hits now. It, dr- it drives my girlfriend, fiance, dash wife crazy because I just don't know. Po- like, I'm too busy listening to a Danish folk metal band that a guy emailed me about. And it's like an MP3 on a GeoCities website. And I'm like, can't even download <laughs> it. This is the best. In that she was like oh that ariana grande song is stuck in my head and i went not only do i not know what that she looks like i couldn't even tell you what she like her cardi b cash like i just missed oh, same they any of them could slap me around yeah they, and i wouldn't know it was them justin bieber unless justin bieber is in front of me singing i wouldn't know it's a justin bieber song to this day like oh same it's just this weird yeah it sort of bugs me how do you fall down on the on bieber how are you let's see if that I don't, I truly, not, I'm not trying to sound, I probably just sound old, I guess, but I, if you put on his music, I could not yeah, identify I, it. I, w- I know a photo of him. He seems like an ill-mannered young man. Yes, he does seem like a petulant enfant terrible. Yeah, <laughs> but I also see like, well, I could see like if you, uh, if that had been your life experience that maybe you didn't. Maybe you wouldn't know how to behave mm. as a gentleman. Yeah. That's because, yeah, he was 12 and suddenly was just everywhere in the world. Yeah. So, um, so I don't know. Let's give it time. I probably won't. I mean, I don't know. I feel like... He could be the next Barry Gibb. 
he could be. He might have it in him. But I, you know, we're getting way... They were still on Canadian content, but I, I saw TLC the other night. Oh. I hold them up as the barometer of that. Is that's Those are my jams for pop music. And I could not have been happier. I was just I was sitting there. I went by myself. Did you see them live? Yes, like it, a few days ago. Isn't one of them dead? Yes, but they're still together. And they Lisa Left Eye Lopez, they have her... You know, they'll have her raps on tape. Oh, and have awesome. Videos, and they come out, and it's just like, I was so happy. Like, I was just there, just like, oh, my gosh. Waterfalls, no scrubs. Just playing t-ball with hits all night long. Because they're one of those bands where you forget how many hits they have. Yeah, they're in the, the, the. I always think of it in the Tom Petty category, which is you go see them live and you're like, they did this one as well. Yeah, yeah. When you go see an artist and well, bringing it back to tragically, yeah. I imagine it's the same thing where you go like, because I always say like, if someone's asked you to go see any artist that's been around for twenty five, thirty years, mm. and you're even if you think, oh, I don't, I'm not sure. Like that'll be like I went to see. I'm a I claim to be a big Neil Diamond fan, but I went to see him a number of years ago and I thought, oh, well, I think I know a lot of his music, but I won't know all of it. Mm. And he just comes out and it's just like, boom, boom, boom for two hours. And you're just like, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That one. Yep. Yep. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. It's the same thing. I still need, I'm going to see them on this goddamn second farewell tour. People don't give Kiss the credit for how many songs you will at least recognize. Oh, yeah. Like, if you've just gotten in a car and run errands yeah. in, in North America... You're like going to you hear shout just, it out loud. Yeah, yeah without question. Um, yeah, there's so much Canadian. We should just... We should do... Well, going back... You have a wrestling podcast. I have a wrestling podcast. We should do a Canadian metal podcast. <sighs> the theme song will be... The song Canadian Metal by Dark Throne. Oh, they, very good. Because I was going to say, or we could update it and do something by Goathorn. Goathorn? I don't know if I know them. Oh, they're cla- They're very good in that, they're a very good Canadian metal band in that they probably played for, in total their entire career, maybe 10,000 people cumulatively over time. And uh, now went on to open a really good record store in Parkdale in Toronto. Oh, nice. Yeah. They're keeping it coming. They're keeping it coming. In that that they work and own a record store and I don't think make music anymore because they have integrity. Unlike yeah. us who have sold out and kept making art. Yeah. Um, oh, a Canadian metal podcast? Oh, because there's a lot of... There's so many deep tracks. And I can, I'll can track it down. I can find my friend's Canadian power metal band album, The Ides of March by Phalanx. Oh, that sounds pretty strong. Se- self-released. I bet I can already picture the artwork. It's it's probably strong. Hand drawn, uh, hand drawn picture of the ocean with a lone boat. Oh, that's beautiful. Isn't it great? Yeah, nothing, nothing better. Indep- whatever you're into, the independent version of it seems cooler. Metal, it's not. It's just so much more metal. Yeah. Like to the ridiculous degree of like they get into the stadium, they've had to. You go see Ghost. And you're like, well, they're, they're not actually going to sacrifice someone to the devil. You go and see an indie metal band, they might kill a goat. 
at, it, it's it is quite possible. Yeah, oh, it I love could happen. There's Voivod. Voivod? Are you pro Voivod? I'm very pro Voivod. Are people anti Voivod? No, no. I just I'm pro Voivod. I love. Vo- I saw. Just the, I want to make sure. I saw them live opening for uh, Ozzy Osbourne when Jason Newstead. Oh. Essentially, being the most giving man in the world, took some of his ever growing Metallica money and did that like that Voivod album in like the mid two thousands. Oh yeah, and, and he played. He was the he bass was the bass player. player. Wow. Yeah, they were great. They were one of those bands where I'm like, why, why, why aren't they bigger? This is really catchy, fun. Yeah, totally. I think there it's there there is like an art rock aspect. And I don't say that in like a negative. No, no, but no. there is like this thing where it's like, oh, this is probably like a lot to handle for someone who just is looking to drink beers in a parking lot. I think potentially. Yeah, they may have they have a bit of the Sepultura soul flies of them a little bit and that it's a bit too experimental at times. It's not not too much for me. Not too much for me but, either. But yeah. I always have to think of I always think of other people of like the consumer. Yeah, I've gone too far into like it's same. And everyone says, "Oh, John, put on some music." I'm always like, "Someone else do it," because you even what I think other people are gonna like. I'm gonna like you guys like the Stooges, right? And they're like, "Yeah, no, I don't want to <laughs> hear this." That's the thing. I I can same thing. I can't. Only if I put on music in my own home, mm-hmm. maybe it will stay on. Yeah, like. Like if people on the rare occasion when when people come over, we'll we'll party on the party deck and I'll put my jams on. No one's gonna come back inside and turn it off. Yeah. But anywhere else, I'm asked to put on music. Twenty minutes tops before I'm like, wait a minute, that's not my music playing anymore. Yeah, of course. <laughs> I have this exact same. It's not a problem. I totally understand it. It's like, yeah, you know, not everyone is into the desert sessions three. The last half hour when they're just noodling and you're yeah. like, I didn't, <laughs> I like the mistakes. Um, <laughs> but yeah, Voivod, Anvil is a great discussion over whether or not they are truly a good metal band or they had one good song and a great documentary. Well, I try to keep quiet on this topic, but I won't I have, since you brought it up. I, I, I also have a strong opinion about them. My feeling on Anvil is, I'm pro-Anvil, let me say that. I hope they keep anviling it up mm, for it. years to come. And I the the documentary I thought was a great story of friendship and perseverance. But the top the sort of thesis of the movie, I guess, is that they came up with all these other bands that became huge giants and then it's just like, but what what happened? Why didn't Anvil become a huge band like all their peers at the time and then you hear their music and you're like i know why yeah i have the exact exact same opinion where i'm like yeah it's just it's very it's very also ran yeah and like yeah metal uh metal on metal is a good song but the rest of that album is kind of like this is very generic like if i want to listen to this i'll put on man of war because man of war is doing is they're you know tilling tilling the same soil and they're doing it better that was always yeah. my thing with anvil it's like yeah this is, and that's also you can see why that their success and fame hasn't carried over after the documentary like they had a rip around the sun yeah and then they kind of just went back to being a toronto bar band yeah 
But I, it's a touchy subject with, well, just in my mind, because I don't want to... Uh, no, and it's, again, I'm not begrudging them their success no, and stuff no. like that. It's just, I guess it was just that thing where you go, like, it's not a mystery why they're not yeah. a huge band. But I'm, I'm glad... Uh, oh, I'm happy for anyone's success. And it's, again, yeah. it, was a great, it was a great story, well told. Yeah. And, yeah, it's Persevering Friendship, and you're happy you make that album. And my one also thing is... When they're surprised there's fans out there, I'm like, no, I've been in show business too long. Someone someone tells you. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, you have a spreadsheet. Yeah, yeah. There's no, like, I had no idea. idea. Yeah, it's like, that doesn't <laughs> happen ever. It's like that one, uh, or like you, like you sometimes see it with comics, especially with a feigned surprise about how big a room is. And I was like, you did a sound check. <laughs> you came out and went one, two, one, two, a little higher, two tinny. <laughs> All right, great. Like, you know, yeah, so those those lies in show business always bug the shit out of me. Because I'm like, for me, I'd be like, it'd be more interesting if it's like, holy fuck, we sold out. Are we actually able to play for that many people? We haven't had a traditional backline. We haven't been through, like, that's yeah. a different experience for a band than playing in a bar. But that's just my nitpicky being too into it kind of level yeah i'm trying to think of now other canadian serial joe technically is metal skid row an argument could be made that they came to prominence when oh, they got a canadian a dangerous thing to say that's the, i know a lot of people across the hudson that <laughs> beg to dip bring it on <laughs> you get rachel boland and snake snap sabo in here right now you didn't have lines uh of limousines uh in front of the stone pony until sebastian bach this is true and Sebastian Bach right now is just touring, playing their first album, and is selling out every venue, adding shows in every city. Reunite Skid Row. I would go to so many shows. How much they must really hate that guy to not? They, I think take they that money. really hate. Like his Instagram, his social media output alone. I'm like, I could see why this guy would have some issues. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's one of those, and I've never been in a band, and you can kind of tell, like, nice. But yeah, it's crazy that they, I think they're going to do it. I think after this tour of how much success he's had, they'll be like, well, we could do a few weeks. Yeah, it's three (laughs) weeks, you play all of Slave to the Grind, then away you go. Because that's the next album that will have a 30th anniversary. Yeah. So two years, enough time to do it. I, like, I guarantee they could go from small rock clubs into small... Like bigger theaters and maybe smallish arenas in weird markets, which is, you know, that's a lot to of tertiary markets. Tertiary markets. Do a festival run in Europe? Come on, Dave. Let's propose. Is... Let's get Doc McGee on the phone. <laughs> <laughs> I think we've just put it into the universe. This podcast will be, this episode will, the one, the. Definitely. I, I'm going to go. It see, all comes back. I'd go, see, I'd go see it with the original lineup. God damn it. I'm in. Oh. Great. We'll go together. Oh, let's go together. We'll sing Slave to the Grind at the top of our lungs. Monkey business. Monkey business. Get the fuck out. Except for the one part where they're very homophobic. We'll just not sing that part. And then... Uh, Wait, what? The, they have a song called Get the Fuck Out? I thought that was Extreme. Get the Funk Out. I think Extreme has Get the Funk Out, but they have Get the Fuck Out. Oh, okay. Because they're tough. The party's over and Get the Fuck Out. Yeah, okay, very, that sounds about you remember right. The, you remember, remember pre, the pre-Nirvana 90s where every band was just like, yeah, we style our hair, but we'll also kick your ass! <laughs> <laughs> In our ripped designer jeans. Of course. 
Oh. All right, let's get some lunch. Yeah, what are we going to get for lunch? Show me somewhere very villagey, huh? I will. We're, I have it. I have it. All right. We're out. Eh? <laughs> <laughs>